This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Tapp, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We hear the news, but sometimes wonder, well, how does that affect me? So today's your chance to ask our personal finance experts how the war in Europe affects you. We'll also talk about our Mississippi legislature and student loans. And you can ask about questions about your own financial situation as well. Contact us by email. The address, it's money at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Hope you're both doing well this morning. Good morning. It's kind of a, a crazy morning and a crazy day in the world, right, Ooh. Ryder? Yeah, we, we've had a, several crazy days, and today is not an exception. And yesterday was particularly ugly, right? Yes. So over the weekend when the markets, uh, the futures markets opened back up on Sunday afternoon, I was noticing that oil price was spiking because we started talking about, talking more about banning Russian oil. In, in addition to the fact that uh, there is a war going over there mm-hmm. and uh, some companies are already pulling out on their own and saying That's we're right. not going to distribute or ship Russian oil. That's right. So many of it's so many of Russia is a large supplier of oil, and so many of their oil fields have joint partnerships with uh, U.S. or European companies. And due to the sanctions that we had already put in place, a lot of those companies were pulling back their involvement. They were saying they're not going to help drill more. They're saying they're not going to buy more from there. So that was already weighing on the price of oil then. And, uh, you know, a lot of people pay attention to the points. So they'll look at the Dow was down 797 points. Oh, my gosh. We pay attention to the percentage changes. And so percentage-wise, the Dow was down less than NASDAQ and S&P. But the Dow is a smaller index, only 30 companies, and it also has some big oil companies in there, right? It does, and the oil companies have been the thing that has done so well. Uh, this year with the ri- rapidly rising price of oil. And uh, NASDAQ is the one that got hit the hardest percentage-wise. I think around 3.7% is what they dropped yesterday. One day, that's a big drop. Yes, and part of that, when you think about tech companies, is that they, they're they such a long-term investment because you are expecting great things from them in the future. You're, you're investing a lot now, and you're going to get huge new cash flow-generating software computers in the future. And so when we think about um, pulling back right now and we think about rising interest rates, that makes those those long-term investments a little less tenable. So sometimes that's what you see in the tech investing world. So why that big change in one day alone? I mean, a company doesn't change value in one day, right? Ooh, uh, should I say interest rates? Yes, that could make the <laughs> Is difference. That one of the answers. Yeah. Well, so like we were saying, with uh, the oil affects inflation, and that affects uh, people's spending habits. So if people are having to spend more money on gas, they're maybe cutting back in other areas. That's one possibility. Um, And then, of course, with the rising inflation, the Federal Reserve may get a little more aggressive about containing But they have announced they're only going to raise it a quarter of uh, a point in um, March this year. Next week. This month, excuse me. Yeah. (laughs) Several days. 
there will be more. Several days from now. Right. But we don't know how that's going to play out over the uh, over the rest of the year. And I will say they are having to walk a very, very fine line right. between yeah. containing the inflation but not uh, tipping the economy into any in, into recession or into anything more disastrous. Well, overriding everything, Kevin, is just this huge amount of uncertainty. And investors hate uncertainty. That's when they rush for the exits. And we've seen the price of gold go up. We've seen the price of all kinds of commodities rise. Uh, gold is a fear play, and that's where people are jumping in. And uh, we also watch the VIX, one of Ryder's favorite things to watch. Isn't that right, Ryder? Uh, generally speaking, yes, I do love that. So tell them what the VIX is. The, the VIX is a, I, I do not know the, the point value of it right now, but. Around 32, I it's think. It's around this 32. Morning. Wow, that's not, that is not crazy. So the VIX is the volatility index. So it measures, it measures what the market is thinking about how much the market will move. Not, not in any given direction, just in any direction. So is the market very volatile? That means it's going up and down by large amounts. If it's yesterday was very volatile, it went down by large amounts. But if it goes up today by a very small amount, that's less volatility. If it goes down today by a very small amount, that's less volatility. So it's just measuring kind of the expectation for the size of those daily moves. And we've seen some really big daily moves in either direction. And so that's our caution for folks that we work with. A lot of people think, oh, it's down and I'm just going to run and put a bunch of money in, but we're trying to be cautious. Uh, yes, you can buy some, but uh, only just a little bit and be disciplined. This is Money Talks. We're talking about today what's in the news and how it might affect uh, your money. <clears throat> Tuesday, March 1st, was the deadline for Mississippi's committees in the House and Senate to pass out general law bills that originated in the other chamber. It's a major killing deadline that resulted in hundreds of bills dying with or without a committee vote. So there are some things that are still alive. Nancy, which ones might have caught your eye? Well, I'm really happy to see that the teacher pay raise is still alive, and I think it's way past time. Uh, the numbers I'd seen going into this, of course, we don't have a final bill to know what they're, where they're going to land, but that would put our um, teachers at uh, a higher rate than any of our uh, states next to us. So I'm very pleased by that, and those teachers are going to need that now that the price at the pump has gone up. <laughs> Um, any other ones that uh, caught your eye? Well, um, also increasing broadband access. And to me, that is just a no-brainer. And we have seen that through the pandemic, how important it is to have access for all of our communities and to really invest in that to help with our children maintain education, um, to open up other opportunities. If you have access to the Internet, then you can conduct a business basically anywhere. Uh, Ryder, there are some bills that did not make it uh, past this deadline. What uh, what sticks out to you? Yeah, so uh, two we're going to highlight. We were looking for some divorce law reform. Mississippi is one of the hardest states to get divorced in, in that you don't have the unilateral, you know, the one party no fault divorce like many other states do. Uh, makes it more difficult. Makes it more expensive. And so, it, one spouse would still be able to kind of control the other spouse may still be able to control the process uh, and, and that's 
nobody wants that situation. Um, so the bill to reform that died in the House committee without a vote, um, but they said they were trying to uh, keep some of that language in- into some other bills. So maybe we'll get some uh, reform, but maybe not the, the, the full meal deal. Uh, I remember from the days of covering the legislature, there's a bill that's dead, and then there's a bill that's dead, dead, dead. So there are ways, <laughs> uh, parliamentary ways to bring something up later and or to, uh, you know, put it into another uh, piece of legislation. So, so maybe this is just a little bit dead, maybe. One of the other ones that died I thought was interesting, uh, uh, the creation of TANF savings accounts. What uh, you have some information on that? Yeah, so this would have uh, provided some matching money to help recipients of welfare benefits create savings account. So, uh, you know, if you are receiving TANF, the temporary assistance for needy families, it would, but you say you're, you're working and, and you are able to save some and try to build up some financial stability, this would have provided some matching funds for it. Um, a lot of the money that we get for that is, is uh, the legislature does have a lot of say in how that gets spent. And, and I know our, uh, that has been uh, the subject of a lot of scrutiny in the past few years with how some of it has been spent uh, in Mississippi. So we're trying to get some matching money to help recipients uh, create those savings accounts and and get more financially stable. Uh, However, that one uh, is is also dead. I don't know, but I don't know if it's dead, dead or dead, dead, (laughs) dead, 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 or I'm not sure how many deads we have here. Uh, the other thing about legislation like this or other types is that, uh, you know, just because one year it doesn't make the cut, as it were, uh, if someone thinks that's a good idea, when any of the lawmakers, House uh, members or senators, it can always be brought up again uh, in a future session. And a lot of times something is introduced a number of times before it ever gets passed. So uh, some things to keep an eye on when it uh, comes to the legislative session, which I think runs through April 1st. Again, that's stretching my memory from when I covered the legislature. Because they have to go home and plant the fields. <laughs> That's right. In their in their carriage. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Today we're talking about what's in the news and how it affects your pocketbook. How many days do you have left to pay your income taxes? We'll have a reminder for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions.
drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. You have less than 41 days to pay your personal income taxes. For this year, the deadline to file income tax is April 18th, though you can file an extension for October 15th. But remember that even if you file an extension, if you owe money, you must make income tax payments by April 18th to avoid interest and penalties. We're talking about uh, things today about how the current news affects our pocketbooks. The White House put out a fact sheet last week. The United States continued to impose costs on Russia and Belarus for Putin's war of choice. So, Nancy Ryder, uh, what do Mississippians need to know about investments with respect to the current situation in Europe? Well, um, certainly if we look at a lot of our big U.S. companies, many of them make more of their profits outside of the U.S. than they do in the U.S. So they are really global companies, and we are learning that some of them were operating in Russia. They're starting to pull back. Uh, that will certainly have an impact on their ability to earn, and we've already seen some of those stock prices go down. Yeah, and for, as an example, we've seen many uh, tech providers uh, and websites, Facebook, Google, Twitter, just social media in particular, and internet providers who have had, you can use Google in Russia, you can use Facebook right, yeah. in Russia, except not anymore. You can't yes, use those anymore. They're cutting those down a lot. Um, a lot of those, they did draw back a lot when we had sanctions. Again, a lot of multinational companies, they they don't want to run afoul of any of those financial regulations, so they will pull back just to make it easier. And also, and for then, PR, and yeah. for PR, yeah. and and then a lot of those ended up getting blocked. So if they had significant operations, and and I don't know how much googling uh, the Russians were doing because they also have their own homegrown search engine. They also have their own version of Facebook and uh, and Twitter. Although those are very popular internationally, so that's the, some revenue, some profit that they won't be drawing from that. So the question becomes, Ryder, how much will this really impact U.S. companies and U.S. markets? Yeah, so like I've said before, Russia and Ukraine, they're not huge economies, right? especially compared to us. We don't... Uh, In fact, I think Russia, uh, their economy is about the size of Italy. Wow. Yeah. And that's... That's small. Yeah. Um, I, I think I was seeing somewhere somewhere that they're they're smaller than uh, their economy is smaller than the Texas economy. And that's, you know, so they're smaller than a state, uh, even though Texas and California and Florida, those are in New York. Those are very large economies, even on the global scale. Um but directly, I, I, so I've said before, I don't think they would directly affect us. Uh, most of their international trade is with Europe, uh, some in Asia, because obviously they're, they're really close. And so it'll affect those. But the knock-on effects throughout the global economy, kind of like we're seeing with oil, uh, even though you heard on the news report just before this show, that we don't, we don't do a lot of oil trade with them. We, I was going to say, grow our own oil 
oil. We drill our own oil here for the most part. Produce. Produce. Yes. <laughs> we stick a straw in the ground and get our own oil here. Uh, although that's a globally traded commodity. And so if that becomes less available, if it becomes more restricted uh, in one place, that will have effects elsewhere. Well, and we come back to looking at uh, the state of our economy right now. Our labor market is still very tight uh-huh. and very strong. We got good jobs numbers just this last mm-hmm. week. Um, yes, we're concerned about inflation, but we think the Federal Reserve will step in mm-hmm. and assist with that. And so, yes, we're going to feel some impacts of this, uh, but our companies are still going to be earning money. Our consumer spending levels are still quite high mm-hmm. as we're all coming out of this pandemic with uh, money in our pockets. I was noticing that the savings rate has declined dramatically back oh, to pre-pandemic levels. We're now around 6%, uh, but that's because we're just ready to get out there and spend. So, yeah, we're going to feel some of that, but I think in some respects we're insulated from the worst part of it. And that's a really good sign. I'm glad you brought up that savings rate because that's something we've talked about before is that there was so much pent up spending and we are seeing it in the numbers. We're seeing it in the the amount the folks are spending. Um, I saw a report about uh, credit card and and debit card swipes and spending on those. And and so far, and that that was a a weekly updated report, not not a hiccup so far. Uh, Nancy, you and I were talking about, uh, before we came on the air, that uh, Russia is uh, one of the world's leading producers of nickel, uh, which is a main component in a lot of batteries. So, um, Yeah, so that's kind of a double whammy. Uh, uh, I was just talking to Jason Klein, who's over this area uh, earlier, and talking about the growth of EV, electric vehicles, and how quickly we're going to that, which will relieve our dependence on oil, but you've got to have good batteries. And so that's where we're kind of caught with all of this. Uh, but is that another way that inadvertently something could lead to, you know, maybe more expensive electric vehicles? Yes, definitely could. Yeah, and also we saw that with aluminum. They're one of the largest uh, raw aluminum producers, although fortunately that is one of the most recyclable things that that you have. A, a stat from uh, Alcoa president was something like 95% of all aluminum products ever manufactured are still in use uh, in that they make a can and then you recycle it and they make another can and they recycle it. So uh, perhaps we'll see more folks adopting recycling as that becomes more profitable for waste management companies to to offer those services. And I want to go back to the price at the pump because, you know, it's just such a common thing that we talk about. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's a very male thing. Too. I don't, I mean, not for me. It's... <laughs> um, but uh, we notice that so much. And, and it's such a common expenditure for us, especially here in Mississippi, because we're more spread out. But I was really interested to note this main economist looking at how we spend our income, and only 5% of it goes mm-hmm. to fuel. Um, most of what we spend is on lodging, around 25 to 30%. Y- your house. <laughs> yes, your house and living there. But when you start to see that that price at the pump, which, you know, you may 
gas up your car once or twice a week or once or twice a month, it really hits you in the face. And we're also going to start to see increases in our utility bills because of this. Uh, certainly, if we cut off some of the natural gas coming from um, Russia, the coal coming from Russia, we're going to see those increases. And so we'll feel that on a more regular basis, but it doesn't take as big of a bite out of our budget as some other things. Having said that, for, there are a lot of families who are basically living paycheck to paycheck. So any kind of increase in a regular expense is really going to hurt. And and I, I, I do like to point out that it's only 5% of the kind of consumer basket. But of course, like you said, more for folks in rural areas who just yes. have to drive more. But also, to be totally fair, to counter-argument to what I'm saying is that it is embedded in the price of everything we buy. You know, our food has to be driven to us by somebody, and that, that price is included. The the tractors that, that the farmers drive to, to plant and, and fertilize and harvest, those need, those need fuel. Uh, it, of course, entertainment, there's a lot of travel and entertainment, uh, things like that. So it is embedded in the price of a lot of things. Any retail uh, activity we do, those products have to get to us, and that takes oil. So give us a sense of how long effects take. So in other words, something happens with the price of oil, the, the, the availability of worldwide oil or whatever. How long does it usually take for effects at the, the gas pump and in our maybe consumer spending to start affecting us? I've, oh. I've seen price at the pump go immediately. Oh, higher. yeah. The, so yes. so the, your pump prices, you would notice those very quickly. Uh, having talked with folks who in the in the gas industry, in the retail gas industry, they they get updated prices every day. And the since those are widely traded things, both oil and gasoline, those markets react very quickly to the news. Uh, as far as how long does it take to change consumer behavior, I've read that it's, oh, three to six months before people will really adjust because people will put up with if you if you're out of gas today you're not going to say ah, I'm going to put this off for two weeks and see if this thing blows over you're going to put it you're going to you know you're going to grit your teeth put the gas in your car and move on but maybe you're going to start looking for a more fuel efficient vehicle that's right? right so so there's there's all sorts of timelines involved one is simply you can start changing your plans maybe you're planning planning on driving somewhere this weekend maybe you'll rethink that. And then maybe you were thinking about getting a new car sometime this year. Maybe Good luck with that, right, huh? <laughs> well, <laughs> normally, maybe you would start uh, thinking about that. You, you could start thinking about moving to a more fuel efficient. So all of these decisions that go into our behavior, they all kind of happen on different timelines. So maybe three to six months is a good way to think about it. It would be enough time for us to have paid for a couple of tanks of gas, spent a little bit more, and, and we're making this decision of, is this going to affect the rest of my budget, or, I'm, or am I going to focus on that gas price? And overall, the concern is if we pull back enough, if this pinches up us enough, and we have a decline in consumer spending, then that could mean an economic slowdown. Uh, I will say, though, it's very nice that a, a lot of folks are able to work remotely, and so we yeah, can, that does help. We, 
I can reduce my Should I personal, stay home tomorrow? I, absolutely, Nancy. Uh, I can reduce my personal gas bill dramatically just by working from home an extra day or two a week. And so there are, there are going to be some people who this has a lot less of an impact or who they can reduce their own spending. And, and maybe that'll play out on a pretty big scale and, and just reduce demand overall. I, I don't know, though, although it's getting warmer, so we're going to be using less gas for heating as well. So, But but what about that AC unit? Yeah, that, that uses a lot, of, a lot of energy. One question before our next break, and that is, um, what about international investment? Is that a good uh, fit for a well-diversified portfolio? And do you think a lot of Americans invest internationally? Well, I do think it, it has a place uh, in your portfolio for a slice. Um, we will focus more on emerging markets, and that's where, you know, you get that's hit where with Russia is. Exactly. But um, there are other countries within that group who are still doing well. And so if their price has gone down, it might be a good time to add a little bit more to the emerging markets arena. But you do that in a very cautious way, and uh, we're still more focused on big U.S. companies. And as I mentioned earlier, even investing only in big U.S. companies, you're still getting international exposure because they're in all of those countries. That's where they're earning their money. Today we're talking about what's in the news and how it affects you. Hey, do you like to use coupons? We'll tell you why using them may be good for your pocketbook and your health. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Redeeming coupons makes shoppers feel smart, like they've outfoxed a brand. One study found that customers who receive coupons released feel-good Oxycontin hormones and their heart rates decreased. We'll have a link to a CNN article in the information for the show's podcast. So, uh, wow. Nancy Ryder, do getting coupons give you that well, boost? Well, saving money gives me that kind of a boost. I mean, it just is a thrill, right? I think I just need to be more careful with that, you know, weekly spam mail uh, coupon packet that I get in the mail. I mean, I just, I just need to go 
go take advantage of all that <laughs> all, all that mood boosting coupons they send me. I get something each month from Kroger, and I think it's because I use the little shopping cart. Yeah, I cart. get that too. Yeah, but they're they're very targeted, which right. is right. It's good. what I buy. Right, which is good part. in one way, but also like when you see something on Facebook that you just at, searched for online, it's a little creepy to me. But yeah. And sometimes it's like, okay, you offered me that last month, and I didn't buy it. Would you give me something else this month? I and just, I just keep getting an offer for fifty-five cents off of a bag of onions. So, which I, I buy a bag of onions fairly frequently, so it really works out for me. All right, got some phone calls to get to. Let's start in Raymond. Alan has called in today. Good morning, Alan. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Oh, good morning. I just love your shows. Thank you. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to ask, but I was just wondering. I got funds in a in invested, and is there a best way of taking it out? Or I think I'm not sure if I have to take ten percent out after a certain age. Um, how old are you, Alan? Um, sixty-four. I'll be sixty-five in August. Okay. Are you retired? Yeah, I'm retired. All right. So are you talking about a 401K or an IRA? Um, I have a 401K, but my, my sister, I have a sister that passed away, and she left me. Uh, so you have a beneficiary IRA with from her, right? Uh, yes. Okay. So the beneficiary IRA, um, there's been a bit of confusion about how that should be taken out because you were not her spouse. You have 10 years to take it out. If Let's see. When did you inherit that? Uh, 2019. So that was, was that within that 10-year? Oh, shoot. That, I believe that was under the old rules. Uh, so... You may be able to take just the old rules. There were a variety of ways you could take it. There was one which allowed you to take it based on essentially continue her distributions if she was if she was much older and taking required distributions or you would be able to take distributions based on your own lifetime or perhaps you would simply have five years to withdraw it all. So I'm, I'm not quite sure which rules you would fall under. Have you been taking withdrawals from it? I actually just took some last year because okay. my car was totaled. And mm-hmm. well, it's, okay. It, it, yeah, well, I got to pay taxes on it. That's correct. Anything you withdraw from there, you're going to have to pay taxes on it if that's a traditional beneficiary IRA. Also, the custodian of this IRA, if it's held at a bank or a brokerage firm, they would, they would of course, know, uh, you know her age and uh, her distribution status, and they would be able to help you understand what the required distributions. Or if she was working with an investment advisor on that account, then they would absolutely be able to help you with that sort of thing. That that's a that's a it, it's a it can be a mess and it can be a mess at a time that nobody wants to deal with it. Of course, dealing with the the death of a loved one, and so that's something we help folks with all the time. And there's been a change, as we've mentioned, mm-hmm. in those laws. And the most recent change is if you're not a spouse, you have ten years to take it out. But we had this other batch of different ways we could mm-hmm. do it. So yes, good advice. Check with the custodian. All right. uh, okay, I was just wondering what the least amount of taxes I have to pay on it. Right, that's what you want to do. Um, but, but, it out somehow. <laughs> right. And, of course, with any of those, you can request that some tax be withheld on those distributions. 
All right, Alan, thanks uh, for your call. Let's stay on the phone lines. Next down to Pascagoula we go. Brother Daniel on the line. Good morning, Brother Daniel. Go ahead. Hey, how y'all doing? Good. Thank y'all for y'all service. Thanks. But, uh, it helps to educate Mississippi. Um, but before we get started, I just want to send out a, a, a prayer out to uh, the Ukraine folks hmm. and, a, and, a, and a prayer out to my Irish brother, Joe Biden, because I know he's going through a problem now. He's either got to raise the, the fuel or, you know, and, you know, do what he got to do with Russia or, you know, so he's he's getting bit on both ends. So I'm getting ready to uh, get into uh, moving some of my money toward the toward the some of the, the, uh, the uh, fuel companies. Do you think at this time it's the right move or should I stick tight? Well, is this cash that you have on the sidelines, or is it money you've already invested elsewhere? Um, well, some cash and some money I invested elsewhere. Well, I think you need to go back and just look at what is your original plan. And that means looking okay. at, at how old you are, looking at what your goals are, and how much do you need to keep in cash. Maybe if you use up that cash to invest in something like this where there's a lot of volatility, you could be left with needing some cash flow and not having it. So. You have to go back to the plan. And what is your plan? How much needs to be in emergency savings? How much can you invest longer term? What is the plan for that longer term investment uh, portfolio? How much needs to be in bonds versus big U.S. companies versus smaller companies versus international? Um, And go back to that original plan. For some people who have a whole lot of cash, gradually adding some to the stock market right now, if you can leave it there for a long period of time might be a good plan, but I would not put it all in at once with as much volatility as we're seeing. Just do it uh, a bite at a time. Yeah, what I did from the last time y'all talked, yeah, I, I separated that emergency money. Okay, good. So, I, you know, I, and this is something that I think we need to re-educate into our children here in Mississippi, because they're coming out, give me, give me, give me, no idea about savings and what the stock market is. I was lucky and fortunate because I lived in New York originally, and when I was in eighth and ninth grade, my teacher, Ms. Goldbaum, Larry Praiser, so took me to Wall Street and taught us a little something. Oh, perfect. How to use the bank and how to respect our mother's and daddy's money. <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's really great. You had that opportunity. So, just just to put that out, please teach your children now. This is the key. Let them listen to the show. This is the key. Not this Sesame Street, but hey, Mississippi, this this right here, public broadcasting, is a necessity for the state of Mississippi. Amen? Thank All you. Right. Yes. Good to hear from you, Brother Daniel, and thanks for the kind words. We're talking about how the news affects your finances, how do Mississippi student loan borrowers compare across the U.S. We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life's disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Scott Simon. If you've raised children, you know the best way to address fear is with truthful information, calmly and comfortingly delivered. That's what NPR News always tries to do in times of crisis, too. That old car in your driveway can actually help us. By donating it to this station, you'll turn your car into more solid information brought to you by voices you trust. Here's how. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Here's a reminder, every Tuesday at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Federal and private student loan borrowers in Mississippi owe an average of $33,182, which is 10% less than the U.S. average, though when it comes... Sorry. But still a lot. That is a lot, yes. Um, But there is news in the student loan payment arena coming from the Department of Education. Ryder, start off the discussion on that, please. Yeah, sure. Um, So uh, one thing that folks have been talking about a lot over (laughs) – we've been talking about student loans for years. Let's let's not kid ourselves. But one thing folks have been talking about a lot is the public service loan forgiveness and and other forgiveness programs. A lot of – there is now – one thing that that I – will repeat a lot because it gets overlooked so much is that forgiveness is built into almost every student loan repayment program and over the past several years they have done a very good job servicers have done a good job of making sure people are moved to those repayment programs where there is there is forgiveness built in usually at the end of 20 or 25 years of on-time payments and speaking of on-time payments for the past basically two years folks have not been required to make payments and all of these um all of these non-payments count as payments because they were simply zero so they count for your they time. were zero yeah. dollar payments yes perfect because and i know that sounds weird but the way the student loans were structured previously where you could have income-based repayments that maybe resulted in you having no payments you could have in the past had a zero dollar payment due so these monthly payments have been counting as zero dollar payments due so that's good for folks who are on track for forgiveness if you're really looking to pay it off i mean now is still a great time to keep hammering those payments if you have a good plan to pay it off and you're trying to get rid of it uh, anyway. But as far as those other forgiveness, the the public service loan forgiveness, those... That kind of had just died, right? People couldn't get approved. It was so difficult when it first started, when the first one started, and I forget what year it is now, when those first started being available to be forgiven, it was so difficult. It was very cumbersome. People found out they weren't on the right payment plan. They they found out, oh my gosh, I actually missed a payment in Or their institution didn't qualify. Absolutely. There are so many things, and, and the 
application was cumbersome. I believe they've simplified the application. I have anecdotally heard of a lot more approvals there, but I have not looked at the actual statistics to see volume of forgiveness. But I would just say people need to, you know, if you've given up on it, go back Mm -hmm. and reapply because Mm -hmm. they're trying to jumpstart that program. Yeah, two places I would turn to. uh, StudentAid.gov is a fantastic resource. Whenever you hear me talk about student loans, it is because I read something directly off of studentaid.gov. They have all of the terms. They have all of the statistics. Truly a great resource for anyone trying to understand that more. And then if you have student loans of yourself, speak with your servicer. Your servicer, they want you to keep making payments. And they and if you're eligible for forgiveness, believe it or not, they want you to do that too. They, they, they're, they're just getting paid to service this loan. They're just getting paid to like make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And if they can get you if they can collect all the money and get but get you out of their hair, they will do that. So that's what they're going for, and they will know all of the options available to you, and they can help you with that process. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Looks like Charles from Jackson has a comment or question about student loans. Good morning, Charles. You're on the air with us. Good morning. You know, Good morning. Listening to the, I've listened to the conversation about student loan debt, and you know, I was. One other thing that I look at when we start talking about student loan debt and the, the implication on the quality of lives of students that graduate from, graduate from college. You know, in the in the past, the the Pell Grant was used quite a bit to help finance ed, ed, education, and over time, that has transitioned from Pell Grant availability becoming smaller and smaller, and the the loans were. They having to pick up the slack, and so now we have children that's graduating graduating from college uh, with, with with degrees, and they having to get jobs where they can't service it, the student loan debt and have a and afford a house or a car, so they having to having to move back home because they can't afford it, and then um, um, and the impact that has on the quality of life. Uh, and I, this may sound odd, but I think we, if we could focus on like the impact of some of these policies that we have on as it relates to um, how it affects our, our children and our children's children, would be good. In addition to like you just talking about the loan repayment pro- programs, and uh, maybe now the government has been more involved in having these loan processes. To be honest, especially we you know there were students students that had loans that were teaching and they had been uh, being denied to, to have the, their loans for, forgiven. So, you know, just a whole lot, lot of stuff mm-hmm. taking place there, but just wanted to share that point. You all, you all have a good day, and, and I do enjoy your pro- program. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, Charles. And, and, and thank you for that comment, Charles. And I love the point about we need to focus on how these things affect our quality of life in the future. Because that, and our overall economy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the whole point of all this. That's the whole point of coming together and forming a government and making rules and stuff. It's because we want things to be better in the future. You know, it, it's, not, it's not because, oh, we 
just uh, we we want student loans because those would be fun. We want student loans because we believe it will improve our quality of life. Well, we noticed the problem with the student loans where they're a little too burdensome. So we changed some of the repayment terms. We made it easier. We made it a little easier for folks to afford. So because we want that to improve their quality of life. So I think that's a great point. And I will just repeat, as I always do with student loans, if they are burdensome to you, there are a lot of options right now, as long as we're talking about federal student loans. There are a lot of options dealing with how you repay, how much you repay, how long you're repaying for, that you can make those payments more affordable. Uh, there's no reason someone with federal student, there's almost no reason someone with federal student loans should, should really be unnecessarily burdened by their student loans. And I'm going to go back to what you said, Kevin, before when we talked about uh, local legislation. There's one piece of legislation that um, really looked like it was dead, and that was uh, free community college and I'm still pushing for that to come back up again. And I think that's one of the best investments that would allow uh, a lot of students who maybe they're the first in their family to go to college and then they would funnel into our four-year institutions. And I think it's just a win for everybody. All right. Got another caller on the line. Let's talk with B calling in from Brandon. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Yes, I got a quick uh, Social Security uh, calculation. It, it's really quick. Quick. Um, I wanted to ask. Let's just say a scenario of twins. Were, two twins were born. They're the same age. Uh, they work the same job, make the same amount of money. However, one of them decided to take their Social Security at 62. The other one decided to wait till full retirement at 67. My question is, how long, when the one that waited till 67 decides to start getting their Social Security, how long would it take for them to catch up and surpass the amount of money taken out of Social Security that the one who took their Social Security at 62? How many years would it take for for that to happen? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, off the top of my head, do we want to see if I can do this math oh, well, in my head while we talk? Yeah, they say the break-even is somewhere, uh, and it, of course it depends on the uh, base benefit, but the break-even is somewhere around 77 to 78, I think. Is that right? So actually, I'm going to I'm gonna uh, contest that. I don't think the base benefit would matter. Uh, she did say they are the same, but it wouldn't okay. matter because the percentage is increase, assuming they both stop working at 62, and so one isn't actually growing their base benefit, but the percentage uh, increase is going to be the same, and I think it's it's about 30 to 35%, so say one of them got $1,000 at age 62, then $1,000 a month at age 62, then one of them would get about 1300 1350 at age 66. I, I, Seven. Uh, 67. Sorry, 67. I, I, I think that's right. Um, yeah. And, and, and how many so, years would that take? So, yeah, how many years would it take for them for them to have received an equal dollar amount? Right. Let's and see. then the 67-year-old. Yeah, family. and you have to consider the time value of money, right? You, well, so you have to consider time value of money, right? Receiving money today is, is more valuable than receiving money tomorrow. But also, very importantly with Social Security is, do you actually need the money? What, what we find so often when people are taking it at age 62, they maybe don't actually need it. Uh, a lot of folks, maybe they're still working at age 62 and they start drawing on it. Or maybe some people actually really, really need it, but they're just too focused on that slightly higher dollar amount in the future. And so they're really hurting themselves today, and, and there's just no reason to do that. Um, I'm not, well, me, may, yeah. I, may I just say, yeah, go ahead. I, may I just say, I, I, 
All my financial advisors have told me always work as long as you can. Wait on Social Security. Wait, wait, sure. to, wait until you're full retirement, mm-hmm. uh, fully age retired. I say that who knows if Social Security is even going to be available. Oh gosh, <laughs> I hear that all the time. I hear that all the time. And I would say to you. Um, I would not be concerned about that because it is a very popular program, and there is an easy fix for it mm-hmm. if people would just step up and fix it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not going to go there, um, but I think it really comes back to what Ryder mentioned. Do you need to take that money? And, again, the choice of when you stop working is different than the choice of when you take Social Security, depending on what other assets you have. Gotcha. Thank you. You guys do an excellent job. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, B. Thanks for the phone call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Just a couple minutes left in the show. Maybe we could kind of reiterate what we've been talking about this morning. Uh, so w- with the situation in um, Ukraine and in Europe and with Russia attacking and uh, the war that's gone on, thoughts, general thoughts on Hold your investments. Uh, yeah, I think um, sit tight at this point. Really check your, your risk temperature. Um, is, is this too much for you to take? Then later on, maybe you come back and change your allocation. Um, but we've had so much volatility. We feel like our impact here for U.S. markets, there will be an impact, but it not what they will feel elsewhere and will be minimal. And just stick to your original plan. Ryder, any final thoughts? I, I think that's about right. A lot of times when things are a little volatile, when we've had kind of big moves and we're looking at them, we might say, oh, you might want to rebalance your portfolio. Well, right now, kind of everything is down, so I don't know that there's necessarily going to be a lot of opportunity uh, to rebalance. Also, if you're looking at the very short term of, oh, well, it's in the past few months, it's only 10%. This isn't the same as last year, the S&P 500 being up 25% Mm, or so, or even over since uh, March 2020 being up how much was it up 50% so much in in that amount of time 10% it's a lot in a short amount of time but it's really not enough to create a whole lot of value in a rebalance. That will wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can find it at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. Or just listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your preferred podcasting app. Today's show was produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 a.m. for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. podcast.